Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Hi, and welcome to this week's In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey. Along, well, not this week. I'm not alongside your host, Kim Bellotto, because Kim is out on vacation this week. So it's just me, Alvin Bailey, with you this week. And uh, we're going to get right to business. We're going to re- welcome our resident energy expert and associate editor of Shale Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be here. Hey, David, let's let's talk a little bit about, I mean, there's some big things going on. Railroad Commission is, is getting rechartered for another 12 years. And, and this is really big related to oil and gas in this session. Um, there was a House committee hearing on the Sunset Bill on Monday. How did that go? Well, it went really well, um, much more smoothly than uh, the last couple of times this has happened. For, for listeners who don't remember or haven't heard us talk about this before, this is the third time in the last four sessions that we've gone through the Railroad Commission sunset process. Uh, the first two tries in 2011-2013 did not produce a final reauthorization bill. So um, but this time the hearing went very, very smoothly, and uh, the vast majority of the testimony was positive uh, towards the bill. It's a clean bill that would reauthorize the commission for, for a 12-year period uh, with very minor changes. And, um, yeah, I just think there's a general feeling the consensus on the committee and and I think in the House of Representatives that, you know, we need to get this done and get the Railroad Commission reauthorized for 12 years because it's, you know, the oil and gas industry is such a huge part of the economy here in Texas and uh, you have to have an effective, fully funded regulator um, making sure that uh, the operations are occurring in a safe and responsible manner. Well, and I'm glad you said fully funded because we've got a We've got a federal administration now that could tend to give more rights back to the states, so we really yeah. <laughs> need a good, strong railroad commission to regulate oil and gas in the state of Texas. Yeah, and you know, when you really look at what's going on in Washington, there does seem to be a move uh, in the Congress and within the administration to look at ways to uh, send the authorities, regulatory authorities, to the states. Uh, you know, the health care bill that was just proposed last week uh, would do some of that. But they're also looking at ways to, uh, you know, uh, delegate some regulatory authorities back to the state. So we do need a fully funded railroad commission that is properly staffed and, frankly, that has modern technology, which has always been a challenge at Texas State Agency. So I think, you know, the legislature is, is – uh, lining up in that direction in this session, and that's that's good news for everybody. What are some of the other issues going on in Texas legislature right now? Well, you know, the big one, uh, we, we, <laughs> this session is actually uh, not real focused on oil and gas issues with, with bathroom bills and, and uh, you know, bullet trains and things like that taking up so much time. But um, uh, there, there is a series of bills related to eminent domain authority. Uh, that, you know, the the industry is having to pay special attention to because uh, the midstream part of the industry, you know, the pipeline companies uh, often have to, uh, well, not often, but occasionally have to exercise in their domain. 
and they're not able to reach an, an agreement with with landowners. And uh, you know they do their best to avoid it, but when you need to do it, you need to do it. And uh, there are a series of bills that would make it much more difficult um, to exercise that authority. And um, I, I know that it's a concern of the midstream part of the business. So that's that's really the big one. Otherwise, there's you know there's no effort to raise taxes on, on the industry, um, um, and, and it, it's looking like a fairly quiet session where all the gas is concerned. So any any other key issues going on related to oil and gas this session? That's pretty much it, uh, you know, just in terms of high profile. Uh, there, there's another, another bill that uh, was introduced by Senator Seliger uh, Friday before last that uh, would cap the rainy day fund and lower the severance tax rate, which, um, you know, everybody's kind of wondering where that bill's going. Uh, it's not something the industry asked for. Um, and frankly, I don't think anyone in the industry really wants to lower the cap on the, the rainy day fund. Um, you know, we're just six years, six years ago, the legislature was having to close a $25 billion budget gap, uh, due to the recession that had just hit. And, uh, was very fortunate to have about $11 billion in that rainy day fund. So, uh, you know, I, it just, I'm not really sure why that bill's been introduced, but uh, it just seems like uh, uh, an idea that uh, I don't doubt anybody in the oil and gas industry is really supportive of. Well, do you think that bill goes anywhere? Uh, I don't know. It, it probably will get a hearing at least uh, in the committee, and uh, we'll, we'll just have to see if there's any critical mass behind it. I you know, the current cap on the rainy day fund, by the way, which is funded by the oil and gas severance tax. Uh, oil and gas severance tax is fund the rainy day fund. And, and the current statutory cap is 10% of biennial budget, uh, which would be about $16 billion. And, um, you know, there was about $11 billion in it uh, when the big recession hit in 2011 when, when you had that big budget gap. And so it was good to have that money there. You know, in a normal two-year biennium, you don't really need that much money. But I think uh, I think the, the general feeling is it just is, it is really good to have a very healthy rainy day fund in case we go into another recession. Um, you know, and that, that lowers tax collections and tends to create a budget gap. Exactly. Um, let's, let's move on to oil and natural gas prices. We, we haven't talked about what's going on with oil and gas in, in probably a couple of weeks with you now. The price of gas had risen up to what was it about three eighty back in the fall, and, and now it's about a dollar below that. What what's going on with gas? Well, you know what happened was everybody was anticipating uh, uh, a pretty cold winter, and it started out that way. And, and so when the cold weather really began to hit uh, in the populated areas up north, um, the price of gas kind of climbed up because what happens is in the winter months we we use a ton of natural gas for home heating purposes. And storage levels tend to go way down during the winter months, and then as spring comes in, you start putting gas back into all these big storage areas. Uh, and so everyone was anticipating, you know, a cold winter, which which we had through about early January, and then all of a sudden, uh, the cold cold fronts quit coming down from the Arctic into the United States, and so we've we've had a, a warming trend throughout January and February. And that has resulted in less natural gas use, uh, higher storage levels, and, and unfortunately, the price has gone back down. So, uh, you know, uh, and that's just kind of the cycle and how it happens with natural gas. And the, 
had there been a real cold winter, uh, like people were forecasting, it probably would have gotten up above $4 at some point. You know, that's just the vagaries of the natural gas market. <laughs> well, and, and I know you'll keep an ear to the ground on, on this as May and June approaches, and it's not far away. Um, in closing, uh, there was a news story about uh, ExxonMobil investing $20 billion. Uh, do you want to you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, you know, the, the company actually began this program a couple of years ago. They're building a series of chemical plants and doing some refinery expansions, uh, manufacturing facilities along the Texas and Louisiana Gulf Coast. And I, I think that uh, the number I saw, yeah, was uh, something over $20 billion in, in ultimate capital investment here in the next several years that's going to create, uh, the company estimates, thirty five to 40,000 jobs. Uh, that's a huge deal, of course, and uh, it's just, you know, there has been an amazing amount of capital, new capital investment in construction uh, in the chemical space and, and plants for other products derived from, from petroleum, uh, which and there are thousands of daily products we use every day that are derived from petroleum oil or natural gas. Since about 2010 is when all that really started, and uh you know, ExxonMobil is just getting into that part of the business in a bigger and bigger way all the time because it's profitable now and uh, will remain so for the foreseeable future. So that's fantastic news for Texas and Louisiana. And, uh, you know, I know the Trump administration was happy to see that announcement as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, good things ahead for Texas. Uh, I think it's going to be a great year for us. Uh, I think it's going to be, a, at worst, it'll be a stable year for us. Um who knows what 2018 is going to bring us. But, but David, as always, it, it's a pleasure having you on the show. We, Kim and I both love listening to you speak because you're so knowledgeable on such a wide array of different topics, and, and we, we love having you with us here every week. David Blackman, thank you so much for joining us this week. Hey, thank you for having me. I'll talk to you next week. And right now we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch, and coming up in the next segment, it's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sinton. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an opportunity to connect with hundreds of professionals in the energy industry and learn about current trends, which will shape every aspect of energy for years to come? Join us for the 2017 Women's Energy Network National Conference from April 26th through the 28th at the brand new Marriott Marquis Hotel in downtown Houston. The theme of this year's conference is Energy Resilience Refueling Innovation, featuring presentations and panels by industry leaders to educate you about emerging issues, inspire you to lead, and orient you to the challenges facing each sector. The event will include keynote presentations from Judy Smith, Inspiration4, and co-executive producer of the hit series, Scandal. A presentation from Jack Gerard, CEO and President of the American Petroleum Institute, and an industry keynote panel featuring Elizabeth Killinger, President of NRG Retail and Reliant, Jody Markopoulos, GE Oil and Gas Chief Operating Officer, and CJ Warner, Tesoro Executive Vice President of Operations, as well as four diverse breakout tracks for you to select based on what fits your needs and career stage. In addition, there will be mentoring circles, an expo hall where you can speak with sponsors, and a LinkedIn corner where you can update your profile, speak with recruiters, and even take a new headshot. Registration includes a wine tasting, fitness events, and other social activities at the beautiful Marriott Marquis, the host hotel for Super Bowl 51, as well as a Texas shake pool and access to excellent dining and entertainment options in downtown Houston. 
you can sign up at our website, www.womensenergynetwork.org. And as a reader of Shell Magazine, you're eligible for a discount registration code. If you can't attend our conference, you can visit the site to join as a WIN member and participate in informative luncheons and networking events throughout the year. We hope that you join us at the 2017 WIN National Conference, April 26th through the 28th. For more information, visit www.womensenergynetwork.org. Great companies take great care of their employees. Ensure the well-being of your workforce with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired to the time they retire. From pre-employment screenings to routine immunizations to on-site injury care and more, trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your employees' health care needs, health care that comes to you. Call 1-866-334-2485. Again, that's 1-866-334-2485. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey, normally alongside your host, Kim Bilotto, but she's vacationing in Cabo this week, so be sure and send her an email and you know wish her well on her vacation. I do have with me on the phone Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sinton. Commissioner Sinton, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Alvin. As always, it's good to be back with you. Well, it's a new year, and we've talked in the past a little bit about the Sunset Review. Let's talk about where are we at with the Sunset Review, and and what steps from here forward does the the Sunset Review process follow? And if you want to spend just a second and talk about what the Sunset Review is for some of our listeners that may not have been following the conversation. Sure. So let's start there. So in the state of Texas, uh, we have a very conservative, limited government model which has served our state very well. One of the components of that model is that any non-constitutional agency is given a lifespan. And the idea being that Texans don't want bureaucratic agencies to simply continue for the sake of continuing. They say, okay, every some period of time, eight years, 10 years, 12 years, we will review the agency, and if it is not authorized to continue, it will end. So in other words, in Texas, we take the assumption that agencies have a finite life and will cease to exist. They have to be approved to continue versus somebody having to actively go shut them down, and that helps us keep a limited government. Well, the Railroad Commission is under its sunset review process, and it happens to us periodically. Over the last seven years, we've actually been under sunset review. This is now the third time because the first two times, Quite frankly, the Railroad Commission did a, a, a subpar job. There was a lot of politics involved, didn't put our best foot forward. But I'm proud to say that this time, with the help of my, my fellow commissioners, uh, a really strong performance by our agency staff, a good investigation by the Sunset Commission and by the Sunset Commissioners, who are senators and state reps, we've had a really positive process. And coming out of that, everyone has been very vocal uh, and very public about the fact that we need to continue the Railroad Commission because of the important work it does. So where we are today is that the House and Senate have both had bills filed to continue the Railroad Commission with a couple of what I would call small uh, statutory changes or statutory additions. Uh, the bills are identical, and they were filed in the in the House by – uh, the chairman of the Sunset Commission, Larry Gonzalez, 
and filed in the Senate by the vice chair of the Sunset Commission, Senator Van Taylor. The bill is basically say it continues the Railroad Commission with three uh, provisional changes. One has to do with an annual plan. Two has to do with what we call negotiated rulemakings. And three has to do with some additional regulatory fees on the midstream slash pipeline midstream. So where we stand today is those bills are being heard in committee in both the House and Senate Energy Committees. We're waiting on those bills to come out of committee, go to the House and Senate floor where they would be voted on, and if the bills continue to be identical, if they are voted on and approved out of the House and Senate, they would go to the governor's desk to get signed. If he signs it, the agency continues for 12 years. Are there any, any proposed budget cuts to the agency? Not in the Sunset Bill. I'm glad you asked that, Albert. You know, the, the Sunset Bill is simply an authorization to continue the agency or discontinue the agency, but in this case continue, and to define what additional roles and responsibilities the Railroad Commission would have and if there are any programmatic things that the legislators would like to see us do. Separate to the sunset process is the appropriations process, which is when the House and Senate authorize us to spend money. And when you go into the appropriations process, right now, most agencies in Texas are being challenged to take on uh, cuts because it's a very challenging budget environment. The state has several billion dollars less in state government than it had two years ago. And the Railroad Commission is one of those that is that has experienced, as you know, a, a big budget shortfall over the last couple of years. And we are working diligently to try to get the legislature to give us the dollars that we need to fund the agency for the next two years. Well, and we're faced with a, with a, a, a federal government now that, that may tend to take more of a state's rights approach to, to governing the nation. And if you guys have to absorb cuts to the Railroad Commission, how is that going to affect you? Well, we, we have, as I said, we've lived with some pretty substantial, uh, to use a slang term, underfunding over the last two years because we are a revenue, we're a fee-based agency. In other words, we don't get a lot of general revenue dollars or general tax dollars to fund our agency. It's almost all funded through industry fees and surcharges. Well, with the industry being down, we have, we have been struggling with uh, about a 25% cut in our funding over the last two years. As a result, rather than having our 820 uh, FTEs, or full-time equivalent personnel that we are allowed to have, we only have 650 right now. Uh, when you look at the uptick, as you talked about, I mean, the, up, the oil and gas industry is, is beginning a, a surge again. You know, $55, $60 a barrel oil on the horizon. Uh, the positive return on investment that we hear about, the Permian Basin, now the Eagleford, people are starting to invest a lot of dollars. Our permit counts are up a good 30% over last year, and so we, we're very busy. And unfortunately, we are struggling to get all the things done we need to in terms of inspections, processing production, completion reports, witnessing casing jobs or mechanical integrity tests, and processing permits. So we are talking very publicly with the legislature about trying to get our funding levels increased. Well, and, and with about a minute left in this, seg this segment, Commissioner, with the uptick in permits, and you guys have less people employed than you had two years ago or three years ago or four years ago, how do you guys handle this issue? Well, right now we are, 
were holding steady. And to give you some numbers, in September of last year, the Railroad Commission got somewhere around 800 to 850 permits. Uh, that was a low point for us. Three years prior, we were getting sometimes close to 3,000 in a month, and now we were you know, under 1,000. Right now, we're, we're clicking over 1,000. We're probably around 1,200. So while our permit staff is, is close to half of what it was three years ago, we are seeing still uh, less than you know, around half, if you will, of what we had three year, two years ago. So we're holding steady now. The problem is we're expecting that number to grow. I mean, we could be at 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 permits here in the next six months, and those permits are getting more and more complex, requiring more review and more due diligence on the part of our staff. So we are concerned that when we get to you know, six months from now, we may have operators that are complaining that we are, that they are waiting for an extended period of time for permits which costs dollars in the field, and we absolutely don't want to do that. Well, Commissioner, we're out of time for this segment. When we come back, I do want to talk about some of the, the changes on a national level that we may be seeing. Let's, we want to talk about the EPA and, and, and having a more oil-friendly administration and how you think that's going to benefit Texas. But right now, we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, and we'll be right back. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey sitting in today for Kim Bilotto, but she's on vacation in Cabo. So we're just going to talk to Commissioner Ryan Sitton of the Texas Railroad Commission and pick his brain for an hour today. Commissioner, welcome back to the show. Let's talk National Environmental Protection Agency for a few minutes, and, and what's your view on, on what's going on at a national level? And, and I'm going to interject a few questions that I've got for you throughout this segment. Perfect. Well, let's start by saying this. You know, the Trump administration has been in office right at two months now, and it's, things are changing dramatically. And right now we, we have some, some signals of what's coming, but there, there's still – we're going to learn a lot more over the next six months next year. But, but look, Trump's been very public that he is pro-U.S. industry and specifically pro-U.S. energy. And so we are, we are seeing not just rhetoric but, but tactical-level things that indicate he wants to do whatever he can to get out of the way of private business, private energy industry. And that's all very positive. We haven't seen a lot of tactical things yet, but we saw one just recently. The EPA had sent out requests for methane tracking to every operator in the state of Texas and around the United States, but Texas was certainly one of the big ones that was uh, that was notified. And these were formal notifications from the EPA. I think it was November of last year, saying you need to you need to track and report all of this methane data. Well, Scott Pruitt just made the call this week to stay that request and say, no, you don't need to send us that. We're not sure that's going to be at all effective regulation. So backing off that, that approach and allowing operators to go on about their business. So it's a, one of the small, or I guess not big, but one of the tactical things that shows that Trump's approach toward get, you know, not burdening business is absolutely playing out in the day-to-day things the agencies are going to do. Well, and, and – one thing I'd like to interject, we see on, on the social media sites and on the news sites, the news stories get, get the spin put on them, and 
one headline, and I don't know if it, it read exactly like this, but it was something to the effect of Trump allows oil and gas companies to dump old frack water into the Gulf of Mexico. And I, I don't know if you've seen that, that headline or haven't seen that headline, but, but speak to that a little bit. That's not going on. No, no. Well, put it this way. If it was, I think I would know about it. And no, I've never even heard of that before. So I'm not familiar with that headline. But the, the, you know, we live in a, a, an age where two things. First of all, the, the cost barrier to enter quote-unquote media is very low. I mean, anybody sitting at home can blog about things, and if they can gain a following, they'll, they can distribute their message. And, and therefore, because of that lack of cost barrier, there's all sorts of people throwing all sorts of stuff in the media space. The second thing that's happened is people have, have, have learned, I guess, in the media that controversy sells, and you want to be the first person out there reporting controversy. So, so being first with controversy has taken the lead or is the biggest priority over getting stories correct. And so unfortunately, when it comes to the, the day-to-day operations of industry, and oil and gas is a part of that, we frequently see stories that are either broadly you know, off-base, if not just absolute factual lies. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you a personal anecdote. This past week, I'm in a meeting. So, so last week on Thursday, I'm in a meeting, all-day session, a, a working session about the Railroad Commission, and one of my staff members comes in and says, Ryan, uh, just FYI, you were just you, Ryan, were just in a CNN story. I was like, really? So they, they showed me. On the front page of CNN, there was a story about um, Trump allies getting appointed to positions. And, like, the fifth paragraph in the story talks about how another prominent Texan is – in the running for a key ambassadorship for uh, cabinet appointment, Ryan Sitton is a railroad commissioner and blah, 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 blah. It spends a whole paragraph talking about how I'm up for ambassadorship. I've never talked to anybody about an ambassadorship. But here it is on the front page of CNN. So it, it just shows that this desire to get out in front and report the story has trumped all the, the need to get the story right. It, it plays out in a lot of different areas. Well, and, you know, it, it goes back to if you're good enough at writing news, you can write history. And, and pe- <laughs> people, you know, people will believe what they read. Right. Uh, we've got about 45 seconds left in this segment. So to kind of wrap up, uh, Scott Spruce's decision for the EPA not to take the methane studies back, uh, wrap that up a little bit. Well, as, as Scott Pruitt's coming in, you know, Scott, when he was the attorney general in Oklahoma, he was like number two to our attorney general, Ken Paxton, and before that, Greg Abbott, in terms of suing the federal government to try and protect states' rights. So I think that, that even before he was sworn in, we knew that Scott Pruitt was going to be somebody that said, let's leave the states, allow the states to do what they need to do. And, and as I said, this is a, a good indicator that he is going to continue that approach, that his job is not going to be to grow the EPA and expand its bureaucracy. It's going to be to hold it in check, and that's going to be good for every state, in my opinion. Awesome. Well, we do need to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more in the Oil Patch. Hi, folks. Alvin Bailey here, just like I am every week in the Oil Patch, right alongside you, fighting for a strong, responsible, successful, and sustainable oil and gas industry right here in the great state of Texas. Both on this show and as a fleet specialist for the Caleb Auto Group, I get to keep a first-hand perspective on the hard work that goes into making this such a great industry. 
And trust me, I understand how important it is to maintain both your company's image, the reliability, and the integrity of your fleet. And you can't break the bank doing it. So whether your fleet action plan requires leasing, buying outright, or something that falls kind of in between, I can help you. Kalig Fleet Sales represents 11 brands and 16 stores that include Ford, Ram trucks, and Toyota trucks on the heavy-duty side, and Lincoln, Mazda, Subaru, Volkswagen, and Lexus on the luxury side. Hey, time is money, so our service departments offer pickup and delivery and rapid response to get you back on the road quickly. I would love the opportunity to help you keep your fleet plan rolling, so let's talk. Call me at area code 830-480-3656. Again, 830-480-3656. Or you can email me directly, abailey at kaligauto.com. That's abailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y, at kaligauto, K-A-H-L-I-G-A-U-T-O.com. Uh, Amerijet's global cargo network is ready to take care of all your shipping needs. With over 40 years of experience in the energy industry, we will help drive your excellent performance. Shipping general cargo, oversized, heavy lift, hazardous material, or mission-critical cargo? Amerijet is your full-service logistics provider, offering air charter, airport-to-airport, cross-border trucking, and express shipping. Amerijet will connect your company to over 30 major cities in the U.S. with more than 625 destinations worldwide. We provide global transportation solutions throughout the Americas, Mexico, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. Your company will benefit from compliance with the highest safety and environmental standards, 24-7 security and surveillance, and online tracking. Let Amerijet's global team ensure the safe delivery of your cargo. For the best in customer satisfaction, Amerijet Houston is your commercial shipping partner. Call Amerijet at 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. Once again, that's 281-617-2187 or visit us at Amerijet.com. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, visiting today with Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sinton. Commissioner, welcome back to uh, the next segment of In the Oil Patch. And in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about EPA, a little bit about uh, some, some different regulations and fake news and, and all sorts of things. Would you clarify one thing for me? Does the, does the EPA regulate the oil and gas industry in Texas, or does the Railroad Commission pretty much stay on top of the oil and gas industry in the state of Texas? At the end of the day, the Railroad Commission does regulate oil and gas activity in Texas, that, that for sure. There are some components of oil and gas industry operations, much like any industry that the EPA does have some regulatory jurisdiction of. For example, when you get into air emissions, EPA has been pretty clear, and the federal government has, has uh, even federal court cases have validated this, that when it comes to clean air, the Clean Air Act, that the EPA does have that jurisdiction. But everything that happens below grounds, drilling activities, even surface activities, all of that's regulated by the Railroad Commission, and we even have uh, some letters of delegation with the, the EPA over the years has has made it clear that they were not only not regulating that, but specifically that the Railroad Commission had authority, and they agreed with that. So we, we do regulate all the oil and gas activity in this state. You, you mentioned the uh, the Clean Air Act. I want to move on to the, the, the waters of the United States and, and the, the Clean Water Act, and talk about that act just a little bit and and what do you think is going to become of that with a more oil-friendly administration? Well, one thing I, I like to explain to everybody is the difference between congressional action and executive orders and administrative rulemaking. It's a little bit in the minutia, but 
when, when Congress enacts a law like the Clean Air Act or the Clean Water Act, those are laws that will be in place until Congress changes them. It is then the executive branch that has to enforce those laws. And in the case of both of those, it's the EPA that enforces them. Although they could, other federal agencies like the Department of the Interior could also take some jurisdictional or regulatory capacity if they wanted to, if there was some understanding between the agencies. In this case, those two laws that were enacted by Congress give the EPA some statutory slash jurisdictional authority. And uh, what the EPA has done is, is taken that and it's, it's, it goes into interpretation. So, for example, in the Clean Water Act, they said, well, we're going to establish the waters of the United States, which was an interpretation or an extrapolation of that law, and that, that the components of the waters of the U.S. are not in stats, are not in statute anywhere. However, they were an administrative rulemaking. So for the EPA to stop doing the things that it has been doing around the waters of the U.S., one of two things has to happen. The EPA has to go through another rulemaking process to change them, or Congress can overturn executive branch things through the Congressional Review Act. Now, it's an interesting tidbit or an interesting tool in history that Congress has very rarely reviewed, but already in the two months the Trump administration has been in office, the co Congress has used the Congressional Review Act to evaluate slash overturn federal activity more than all other times in history put together. So what we're seeing is the president and Congress taking every step they can to roll back some of the um, some of the federal activities or the executive branch activities that were based on statutes to bring those agencies back in check. So they're they're pulling back some of the some of the the bureaucratic overreach is what you're saying. They're doing exactly that, and as I said, it, it's back to the minutia. They can't just say, "Oh, EPA, stop doing this." But they can use some of the tools, like the Congressional Review Act. Now, if if there was something done by executive order, if, if Obama had come out and used executive order to do something, then it can be undone through executive order. And you've seen Trump uh, do some of those things. So where they can use executive order, where they can use Congressional Review Act, or where Congress can use its power to change laws, all those things are happening to bring the EPA back in check. And with Scott Pruitt at the helm, as we talked about in the last segment, I think we can be optimistic about letting the states do what states should be doing. Very interesting information, Commissioner. Unfortunately, we're out of time for this segment. We do need to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch. My name is Alvin Bailey, and we'll be right back. Oil Field Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil field experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil field experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. Hey, you, do you want to go to the fastest growing oil and gas mixer in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business, so you got my attention, but what is Teak? Teak is the Texas Energy Advocate Coalition, and we hold free business mixers to help businesses grow and network. 
Is there a fee to join? Not for the next 90 days. It's completely free. So there's no charge to join, no charge to attend Mixers, but we do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where do I go? You go to shellmag.com slash teak, T-E-A-C, and click the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Well, that sounds good. I'll see you at the next Mixer. Managers, bosses, supervisors. Hey, flu season is here. Don't let the flu bug bite your employees. Banish sick days and keep your workforce strong, healthy, and productive with Baptist Healthy Solutions, your answer to convenient and affordable health care that comes to you. Our mobile health unit delivers on-site, state-of-the-art, comprehensive care that keeps your employees healthy from the day they're hired till the day they retire. Trust Baptist Healthy Solutions with your workforce health care needs. Health care that comes to you. Call 866-334-2485. Again, that's 866-334-2485. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch. My name's Alvin Bailey, sitting in by myself today because Kim's out on vacation in Cabo. I think she's surfing, so you guys email her and ask her what, what the surf's like in Cabo right now. Uh, on the phone with us this week is uh, Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton. Commissioner, we, we've talked about a lot of different stuff today and covered a lot of ground. To kind of close out the show today, let's talk about what's on the horizon for you and, and for the Texas Railroad Commission for 2017. And, and we also want to know what's your outlook for major projects for the, for the oil and gas industry on the whole for 2017, maybe into first quarter of 2018. Absolutely. I must see that. Uh, real quick, i got to say, I noticed every time you come back for our segment, you mention that Kim is vacationing in Cabo. I'm you repeat not. that every time. <laughs> I sense a little bit of envy there. I don't know if that's just me. I, uh, anyway. I am a little – have you ever fished in Cabo? I have not. I, I'm just a, I'm a little jealous. It's, uh, But it's okay. I'll get over <laughs> it. I'll get my chance. Okay. Well, uh, look, I like to start with what I think commodity prices are going to do. I think we're in a fairly stable environment for commodity prices right now. Uh, I think 55 to $60 a barrel is about where crude oil is going to hang this year. It may get a little south of that at, at a couple points, but in general, we're going to be in that range. I think that's a range where there's going to be a lot of oil and gas activity in Texas. In other words, there's going to be a lot of profitable operation. Uh, you'll hear some people say that $55 a barrel today uh, is profitable where it used to take 65 or $70 a barrel just two or three years ago. So, uh, you know, when you look at how much investment was coming into the state at $70 a barrel, we, we'll see about that kind of investment now. So it's a it's going to be a good business climate for oil and gas in Texas. Uh, at the Railroad Commission, we are anticipating that uptick, and we're trying to prepare for it, uh, not just with things like enough permitting staff, but also as wells get more complicated, we see more and more uh, variations in terms of drilling techniques, completion techniques. We need to make sure that our staff is prepared to handle those, answer questions, engage in uh, uh, you know, real dialogue about what, what things need to be adapted and, and change rules for technology for those things. So uh, we're, we're very much looking toward all of that increase in, and asking ourselves, are we prepared to accommodate that? A couple of things that we talk about a lot at the Railroad Commission are – our technology, and our staff. You know, our technology has been behind the times for a long time, and we are constantly working to improve our technology, not just to bring it up to current standards, 
but also leveraging cutting-edge technology to allow operators to turn in production reports or completion reports or get well information on the fly on their mobile device. When it comes to our staff, we've got a very experienced, expert-level staff, but a lot of our experience and expertise is going to be retiring. So we are trying to rebuild that staff with a new crop of uh, knowledgeable experts who can be there to lead the commission, not just, you know, the next couple of years, but the next 20 years. So those, those are big things on the horizon for us, uh, both this year and into following years. Where, where do you find this crop of new people, Commissioner? Well, everywhere. <laughs> One place that we're we're looking to find them now is from the industry itself. With the downturn over the last couple of years, there are a lot of talented people who have struggled to to find their niche in the new uh, new normal, if you will. So we're looking out to, to find people who you know, we we can't pay what private industry does, but it's for someone who has has made a good living and just had a good career to say, man, am I willing to go to state business, state agency, and give back to some degree and, and lend my expertise and my knowledge to help the Railroad Commission be a, a really exceptional agency for the next 20 years, that would that would be public service and something people could be proud of. We're also going to the college ranks. We're going to find people coming into uh, the, the just coming into the job market who might find a home in public service uh, and be willing to really commit to being a part of our team for a while. So both of those are opportunities for us to find new people. You, you can't you can't buy expertise. You can't buy experience. You can't really you, you can buy knowledge, but it takes years and years and years of education. But what what educational background does the railroad commission look for in people? We look for all kinds. We are always hiring engineers uh, and geologists, but we're also hiring people with uh, business backgrounds, even administrative backgrounds, to come in and do some of the blocking and tackling of, uh, you know, filing and handling permits and those sort of things. We are looking for people with field backgrounds that, that have worked in any aspect of field industry because we hire inspectors that don't need necessarily technical degrees but have some sort of field experience or are comfortable going out to well operations or disposal operations. Well, last but not least for this segment, Commissioner, major projects for the Railroad Commission. Is there anything that you can talk about? Uh, obviously, the, the things you can't talk about, we won't talk about, but what what big projects do you guys have, have on tap? Yeah, I would say the biggest standalone projects are still our IT projects. We're trying to develop new systems or integrate these systems into how we track everything we do and allow operators to track and report the things that they're doing. So we've got projects, for example, around converting some of our online or hard copy forms to digital forms so that people can just process data from a mobile device, if you will. Um, I would say the other big projects that have coming up are some rule reviews where we are looking at some of our rules that have been in place for a long time, 10, 20, 30 years, and asking, are those rules still applicable in the world where we have, you know, substantially different drilling and completion techniques? So as we go through there and look at all those rules, you're going to see some pretty notable rule changes to adapt to modern technology and modern techniques. So between IT and rules evaluations, those are pretty big projects we'll be taking on this year. That'll keep you busy for 2017, huh? Absolutely will. Well, Commissioner, we have just about run out of time for this show, and as always, we, we do appreciate each and every time you come on the show with us, and uh, we wish you the best of luck for 2017, and we do want to talk again. Thanks, Dan.
Alan. It's always good to be on. Thanks for having me because it's great to visit with you and share some of the things that we're doing. So I look forward to coming back next time. Thanks, Commissioner. Have a great day. And you do get to be the topic of today's trivia question. Hey, listen up, because I hope you were listening to Commissioner Sinton in the second segment of the show today, because that's where the trivia question comes from. In segment two of the show, Commissioner Sinton mentioned the current number of employees that are employed at the Texas Railroad Commission. You don't have to give us the exact number, but give us an aroundabout figure about how many employees are currently employed at Texas Railroad Commission. That's your trivia question for this week. Email your response to radio at shalemag.com. Again, radio at shalemag, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. And if you're the first correct answer to that email, you're going to win yourself a $100 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the Brazilian Steakhouse. And let me tell you, that is a great little Brazilian steakhouse. Again, email your response to radio at shalemag.com. And that's about going to wrap this week's show up. Be sure and like us on Facebook. That's in the Oil Patch Radio Show. On Twitter, at shalemag. And until next week, I'll say this for Kim. Adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.